All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, PB. Uh, certainly appreciate the opportunity to, to come this morning and to talk about what we just did <laughs> and uh, what we do so faithfully. And I think we're really faithfully led in our class uh, in terms of a, of a model uh, in Pastor Brody in prayer. Um, I really wanted to do two things, maybe three. First, uh, you know, because I do work at a university, it's important that, that I cite things properly. But I, I do want to commend the, the Spiritual Disciplines book for the Christian life, uh, Don Whitney. Really, everything that I'm going to say today is from this text, um, except for maybe telling a story or somewhere along the way about something personal in my life. But beyond that, I'm, we're blessed to have the wisdom of, of those who are really, in, in Don Whitney's case, I mean, he's a, he's a contemporary in the faith, but he, he draws so heavily on Scripture and makes a great apologetic, if you will, for spiritual discipline. So the two things I really want to do this morning is, is first reorient us a little bit on the spiritual disciplines, just to, just to remind, remind us all where we are on the spiritual disciplines, why they might be important, and how God can use those to conform us into his son's image, which is just critical. Um, one thing I'll, I'll then, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to start the two-part discussion on prayer. And today, the, the prayer discussion is primarily going to lean on a biblical case, both in the, in the example of, of the life of Christ on prayer, but also just a, a broader biblical case for prayer. Um, that's probably more theory than practice today, but um, that's just you know, my, my teaser to get you to actually come back to church next week. I'm just kidding. I know you're coming back to church next week. Uh, but next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about some more of the whys on prayer and that prayer is answered, um, that, that, prayer, that prayer matters, and um, that we can apply some of the, the truths that we're learning in our, our lives. My one uh, particular challenge as I've gone through this book is I think, um, I think Donald S. Whitney might be a musician. So it was like a really good fit for Joseph. The, the examples just roll off the tongue. Um, for somebody who um, you all were mightily blessed to have my mic off during the singing, and let alone and never have heard me play an instrument because I do not have that particular gifting, um, this is a little bit of a challenge for me. So I'm going to give examples from my, my, my life experience, which is slightly different uh, as we roll through. Um, any spiritual discipline, I, I, I want the point to come through loud and clear that we're not doing this to earn our salvation that we're not engaging in spiritual disciplines because we're sort of you know, earning, earning brownie points, if you will. But really, it's a simple and singular purpose. So as we talk about prayer, and we talked last, the last couple of weeks about intake of Scripture, the purpose is, is to conform us into the image of Christ or um, for the purpose of godliness. So we've got to remember that. Um, I, some of you know, some of you may not. I, I used to be a, a professional pilot. I was a military pilot. Um, I've got almost 5,000 hours in the air. I'd say probably 10 times that amount of time in terms of preparation for those 5,000 hours spent on the ground, slugging away at some small task, whether it was learning about how an airplane system works, learning about weather, learning about how to get an airplane on the ground in an emergency, 
um, thinking about, um, you know, in my case as a combat pilot, how to overcome enemy systems, just hours and hours and hours of study and kind of parts of tasks put together. Um, there were times when I was in my, involved in my training where I might have felt a little bit sorry for myself. I, I gave myself permission to be cynical. This is drudgery. Why am I doing all of this? And I'll tell you a little bit of a story later on about how we need to be reminded that if we're going to do something that involves discipline and hard work, that, that we should think about the direction that has taken us. What is the purpose? And a much higher purpose than anything I ever did in an airplane is the purpose of godliness in each and every one of our lives. So the, the, the discipline that we're talking about isn't meant to be wooden, isn't meant to make us look good or, or feel good about ourselves. It's meant to be uh, something that the Lord uses in conforming us to the image of Christ, really our sanctification. So there's little value in practicing those things apart from thinking about that grander, that, that more grand purpose. So there's little value in spiritual discipline apart from the single purpose that unites us. The biblical answer uh, as, as Paul uh, lays out to us in, in the first uh, letter to Timothy, is that we're to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So it's almost like in defense of spiritual disciplines. They sometimes get a bad rap. But in defense of biblical disciplines and the disciplines for the Christian life, do this for the purpose of godliness. Um, so uh, you should be encouraged Think about any name. You know, uh, there are some in, in this group and, and some in our church who are going to be taking a, a Reformation tour uh, of Europe uh, early next month. And we're going to go and kind of walk in the footsteps of some of the Reformers. We're going to learn about some of the, 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 hist- the, the heroes, if you will, of the Reformation. I'll tell you, not one of them, from biblical times moving forward, um, not one of them has grown apart from being um, spiritually disciplined people. They've used spiritual disciplines, okay? In my own experience, those that I, that I follow, my older brothers in the faith, those, those, those wise women that, that I've sought out for, for insight, uh, every one of them has been someone who was uh, spiritually mature through spiritual disciplines. So godliness comes through discipline. I'm going to say that again and again. There's other catalysts that God uses in our lives, and, and so again, a special place for, for spiritual discipline. If you think about our sanctification, well, first, a quick reminder, we hear about this in our church on a regular basis. Salvation is 100% the work of God. We don't add to our salvation by, by engaging in spiritual disciplines. But sanctification is, is, is often understood as a partnership between man and God. It's one of those places where the Lord does work, the Lord empowers, the Lord turns our hearts, but then we also have a role. If you go just a little bit deeper into that sanctification or that being conformed into Christ's likeness, God, think about three primary catalysts that, that God uses um, to conform us. I want, as we go through those catalysts, think that there's one catalyst in particular that we have almost complete control over as empowered by the Spirit of God. But the first catalyst is people. I think it's pretty clear that we don't control people, okay? But God uses people in our lives to conform us into his image, right? I mean, we've just prayed for people that, that are dear to us. Um, we've, we've prayed to people that, that we care deeply about. Um, the, the word says in Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, a, a super familiar uh, 
phrase to any of us. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So certainly God uses people in our lives to conform us into his image, to make us more Christ-like. I wish I could say he only used my friends. I wish I could say he only used uh, those who I agree with. But God uses our friends to sharpen us. And I'm, and I'm grateful for many of you for your friendship as you've sharpened me um, in, in the time that, that we've, we've gotten to know one another. God sometimes uses our enemies to sharpen us. Think about that. Filing away those rough and ungodly edges. All right? You know, gee, something about that person brings out the not necessarily best in me. Sometimes it's the worst. But you know what? As that's brought out and brought to mind, in conformance to Scripture, that can be used as, as part of making me more Christ-like. Parents, children, spouses, how many have we prayed for even today? Co-workers, customers, teachers, neighbors, pastors. God changes us through these people. Note, though, how much control do we have about those people that come and go in our lives? And the answer is almost none. Um, so that's a, that's a unique catalyst that God uses, but, a, but, but different than the spiritual disciplines. Another he uses is circumstances. We've spent a good bit of time this morning thinking about, talking about, um, praising God for, but also asking God to help us through circumstances. But those circumstances God uses to mold us in to the image of Christ, um, for better or for worse. Right? The classic text for this, of course, would be Romans 8.28. We, we, can, we can recite that one pretty much from memory. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, right? Very familiar, very familiar phrase. But what are those things? Are we always thanking God for financial pressures? Are we always thanking God for the physical conditions that we're going through? The job that, that changed maybe unexpectedly? Um, certainly some of the, the, the positives in those. Even the weather this morning, the birds are singing, but my hands are darn cold as I'm scraping the windshield, this morning. Are you thanking God for that, those circumstances? Are you using those as an opportunity to, to praise God for the breath in your lungs? Um, but he uses those, those circumstances. Um, none of which, by the way, are precious few of which we can control. So another second catalyst that God uses to, to conform us into the image of Christ is those circumstances. But then there's the catalyst of spiritual disciplines. And that's what I just wanted to make the point. It differs from the first two in that he uses these, when he uses these disciplines, it's not something external. He uses the spiritual disciplines to work us from the, in, for the inside out versus the outside pushing in, okay? So, so that's something to take note of. When he changes us through people and circumstances, the process primarily works from the outside. The spiritual disciplines differ from those in that God grants us a greater measure of choice. Like I can't necessarily choose who my children are or my parents are, or my co-workers are. But I can choose to study my Bible. Okay, I can choose to, to take everything to the Lord in prayer, as, as we were reminded of this morning. Um, whether they're trials or temptations, um, whether they're joys or heartaches. We often have little re uh, choice regarding the people and circumstances, but we can decide, for example, whether to read the Bible, pray, fast, worship, give, fellowship today. Um, so again, we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. It comes, up to, it comes down to practicing God-given spiritual disciplines as a means of receiving his grace 
in those all things, those all circumstances, and growing in Christ-likeness. In uh, Colossians 1.29, the Apostle Paul illustrated how these two efforts of the Christian uh, and the work of God, those two things can, can work side by side. Okay, so we don't want to take credit. We don't want to rob God of glory. We don't want to make it sound like it's all from us. But these two things do work together in, in sanctification. So it's God's work in us through the Spirit, but then our, then our own effort as well. He says this, a person who's indwelled by the Spirit in, in Colossians 1.29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You feel that tension? God's doing something. We're doing something. And this is, this is the beauty of the spiritual disciplines, a place that we can, we can cling to. Notice that Paul said that he himself was toiling. Okay? Think back to that. that is it drudgery that Paul's engaged in? Or is it purposeful effort towards a, in a certain direction? That's the way it is with spiritual disciplines. The desire and the power for them are produced by the grace of God. There's no question about that. You can't want to do this apart from God's work in your life. Um, but, but the Christians themselves must practice the disciplines. Um, as Joseph led us well the past couple of weeks, a deep and insatiable hunger for the Bible is a gift from God. Like desiring to have that, that steady intake of Scripture and the Word in our lives, that's a gift from God. Like when I, when I was an unsaved man, I, didn't, I wasn't interested in, in such things. But when God, when God gave me a new life, He gave me a new set of desires. And that was the gift that He gave us. But you know, even with that, um, we are the ones who have to turn the pages and read the Bible. We have to do that work. Okay, he doesn't pull our, our passive, arguing bodies, okay, over the pages, over the desk. He doesn't like make us open the, the words like, uh, like we're robots and draw our eyes back and forth over the pages. It, it's done with effort on our part. So feel that tension and live in that tension. That's okay. It's something that, that's for us to do. Think of the spiritual disciplines as ways by which we can spiritually place ourselves in the path of God. We can make a choice. Um, we, in, but we put ourselves in the path of God's grace. Um, we, I heard that he gave the example in the book of Zacchaeus, who placed himself physically in Jesus' path, that wee little man, and he sought him, right? And then as this tax collector, uh, just as with this tax collector, we'll find him willing to have mercy on us if through the spiritual disciplines we place ourselves right in the path of his grace. And of course, in the, in the course of time, we'll be transformed by him. That's, that's part of that gift of being, of being formed into the image of, of God. So again, by means of these practices, we're going to try that out. And a few notes and a little bit more on the why, just some encouragement here. Um, this isn't just theory with no consequences. I mean, we, we, need to, we need to take this on board. And by the way, I'm preaching this sermon to myself. <laughs> I want to be really clear about this. Um, just as I, I, you know, I, I hear our pastor say all the time, you know, I need this truth. But, but we need to know it's dangerous. It's dangerous not to practice the spiritual disciplines. Um, and, and this is tricky, so stick with me. But the greatest danger of neglecting the spiritual disciplines is the danger of missing God forever. Now, I'm not going to suggest you, you miss salvation by missing the spiritual disciplines. But not being engaged in the spiritual disciplines is a pretty rough diagnostic on your own heart. I know it is on mine. 
Um, not because personal piety earns anyone a place in heaven. That, it, that's not how it works. But because it characterizes those who are on their way there. So I desire to have the markers in my life of, of somebody who, like my dear brother Jonathan Riley, was intent on heading to heaven. And if I don't have those markers, I need to ask myself, what's going on? And then I might ask somebody else in my life, what's going on? What do you see and that, I, that I'm missing here? If the God-given means of personally experiencing, and these are the God-given, God-directed in the, word, in the Word, means of spiritual grace, if they're not present in our life or they have little appeal, ask yourself why. So there's a danger not only of missing God, which would be a, a marker that's, that's a great warning sign, but then there's also one of bearing little spiritual fruit. My desire is to practice the spiritual discipline so that, you know, my, my dear wife got up this morning before church, and she's not going to want me to say this, but, you know, somebody called who's, who she's discipling and needed to talk. I needed to talk early this morning. And, you know, as we were praying this morning, I was just so grateful for my dear wife because she's going to have something more to offer her than Cameron. She's been exercising the spiritual disciplines faithfully and she has the truth to bring to this, this woman's life versus just sort of the same old wisdom of the world. Um, so uh, there's a danger of bearing too little spiritual fruit. Your life counting little for the sake of the kingdom. Be worried about that. Um, but lest this all sounds like just, wow, man, this is pretty heavy. Thank you, David, for, for reminding me of, of how little I'm accomplishing <laughs> and how much more I should be doing. Uh, I want to promise you that the freedom, think about the freedom that comes from this. The freedom from embracing the spiritual disciplines. Many hear the term spiritual disciplines, they think of bondage and burdens. It's like those phylacteries, right? Just like, yeah, more and more. You know, those Jewish men who strap things on and I've been in parts of the world where some consider it a work of holiness to, to literally you know, flail whips at themselves and make themselves bleed. It's not that. It's not that at all. It's not bondage and burdens. These are, these are not things you have to do. It's actually freedom that you're asking for. There is freedom in the Christian life that comes, and Elizabeth Elliot said this, not through purposelessness. A, non, a non-lazy woman, by the way, Elizabeth Elliot. Um, there is a freedom in the Christian life that comes not through purposelessness and laziness, but discipline. According to Elizabeth Elliot, freedom is not at all the opposite of discipline, but instead it's the final reward of discipline. Freedom is the reward. When you can finally do, do the thing, and you can do it well, you're free to do that. Again, I mentioned that, that you know, as a, as a military pilot, I, be, I began my flying training in the summer of 1983. And it really was almost five years. It took almost five years before I was considered a mission-ready pilot in, in, the, in the military. Um, you know, as a teenage pilot training, as a teenage, teenager learning to fly, I was just like, man, why are these people always on me? You know, there's always something more to learn. There's always something I'm not meeting stands for. I'm getting checked and checked and checked. And, you know, I wish I could say I passed every check ride with flying colors, but several times I was, let's just say, given another opportunity to excel um, after maybe a little more concentration and focus. Um, but in the middle of all of that, you know, I began to kind of look at it as drudgery. Um, in, in Don Whitney's book, he gives an example of a 10-year-old learning to play an instrument. And he says, you know, that kid's just like going through the motions and 
he doesn't have glory as his teacher, so he's, he's uh, maybe slightly discouraged every now and then. But the point is, if, if, that, if, if an angel of God walked in the room to that, with that 10-year-old and said, hey, I want to show you a picture of 20 years from now. I want you to see the packed hall in Carnegie Hall, and, and there's a wonderful performance going on that people have paid a lot of money to go see. And, and all of a sudden he says, you know who's playing? That's you. The drudgery of my pilot training and all of the skills that I acquired by God's, by God's gift. You know, I had no idea that 20 years later, on a really terrible location in the middle of a dark and dusty night in Afghanistan, I would get the privilege of being in the right place at the right time to save a man's life who literally had been, was critically wounded, was blown up, and was going to die. But we were able to get in and go pick this man up. And, and he, was in a, he was in an emergency critical care facility two and a half hours after he was blown up when it should have been eight and a half hours. And the man survived. I got the privilege of being a part of, of something. If I had known that at the time, that I was starting the journey, would I have whistled when I worked? Would I have looked at it as drudgery? Or would I have said, no, do it again. It's not good enough. You're not ready. Think about the direction that, that the spiritual disciplines take us. And I'll tell you what, heaven's better than saving someone's life. Heaven's better than Carnegie Hall. And it's, it's, it being conformed to the image of Christ is better than any of that stuff. It's not drudgery. It should be a joy, a joyful journey uh, for us. So we're going to need to practice. And it's okay if you say, if I'm doing my self-assessment, I'm not quite there. That's okay. Don't give up too, or, too, too easily if we find that spiritual disciplines don't come easily. As though con- being conformed to the image of Christ would be easy. The answer, of course, is it, it would not be. So I'm going to fast forward. Spiritual disciplines, the apologetic for the disciplines. As we talk about prayer, as we talk about uh, scripture intake, as we talk about journaling and reflection and worship and discipleship and, and one anothering and serving. Follow him to joy, to the destination of Christ-likeness. Focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ in each of, the, of these disciplines. Learn from, gaze upon uh, who Jesus is and what he has done. Let the truths of the gospel restore our souls. Okay, so prayer. Prayer. The largest radio receiver on earth is in New Mexico. Pilots call it the mushroom patch. I've flown over it. It's a big place. Got a lot of big mushrooms down there. The real name is the Carl G. Jansky Very Large Array. The the very very large array is a series of 27 huge satellite disks on 38 miles of railways sitting out there in the middle of the desert uh, 50 miles west of Socorro, New Mexico. Um, Together, the dishes mimic a single telescope the size of Washington, D.C., Astronomers from all over the world uh, use it to analyze the optical image of the heavens composed by the VLA from radio signals and receivers from space. Why is such a giant apparatus needed? Because the radio waves, and here's the kicker, often emitted from sources millions of light years away, are very faint. The total energy of all the radio waves ever recorded barely equals the, the force of a single snowflake hitting the ground, a single snowflake. So... People are working pretty hard to pick up those uh, snowflakes. What great lengths people will go to in search of a faint message, a very faint message from far, far away. 
you know, even as God has spoken clearly through His Son and His Word, straining through the eyes of the telescope and the electronic ears of the VLA, they search the infinite darkness for a possible word from somewhere in the universe that might weigh, combined, one snowflake. And all the while, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. As, as my brother Joseph reminded us yesterday, uh, last week of the, the privilege of, of in, taking in God's word, we have the privilege of speaking to a God who has a, a larger array than that very large array to hear even our faint snowflake-like prayers, let alone the big ones. Um, I, I don't think I have to really like, make the case that prayer is important for those of us in this class, but I think it's important for us to say that we know it, but sometimes it's like flossing. <laughs> I know it's the right thing to do. I know I should be doing it. Every six months or a year, I get told and be reminded of why, sometimes in the form of consequences and circumstances, but sometimes I need to, to be reminded all the more. We Christians don't always pray as much as we should. That's the point. Statistics, any number of surveys will tell us that very thing, that we struggle with it. Um, sometimes we, you know, we'll offer that sentence, that whispered prayer. Sometimes we'll offer the deeper prayer in a, in a public setting. But oftentimes it's the in-between that we, we might struggle with this. So acknowledging that it's important, but acknowledging also that, that we might have some work to do in this area, um, that's what we're going to talk about for the next the next two weeks, a little bit of time here, and then more time next week. It's very easy for any of us to feel guilty about not praying enough, okay? But that's not the intent of the section. We, we just have to come to grips with the fact that to be conformed into the image of Christ, we must pray, okay? So it's expected. Um, it's expected specifically from the words of Jesus, um, if you've brought into the authority of Christ in the Bible, you've heard him say it. Jesus expects us to pray. Don't think of it as an impersonal requirement. It's okay for Jesus to call the shots in our lives. Realize that it is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, with all authority and with all love. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse 5 through 9. But just quickly, I'm not going to read every word of it, but I'm just going to say, Matthew 6, 5, Jesus says, this is Jesus saying, but when, and when you pray, Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, Matthew 6, 7, and when you pray, um, Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, Math, and then go to Luke eleven nine. 9, and I tell you, ask, seek, knock, Jesus is telling us in his own words to pray, Luke 18, 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to pray, so Jesus says specifically, he not only says we, he expects it, he, he assumes it, but then he tells us how to do it. So suppose, suppose Jesus now appears to you personally, just as much as he did. You know, we've been hearing about the, the, the revelation to the Apostle John at the end of his life on the island of Patmos. And, and Jesus came to him, spoke to him clearly um, in Revelation. You know, and what, what if he said, hey, Cameron, hey, David, hey, Joseph, hey, Mary, hey, Larry, I want you to pray to you, to your face. Would that make an impression? Yeah, it would. Of course it would. Of course it would. Um, well, Jesus is doing He's done that. He's said it in his word. He's done that very thing. That's your personal invitation. 
Elsewhere in God's word, we, it's, it's made clear. In addition to the words of Jesus, the unmistakable expectation of God uh, and uh, that, that the people of God will pray. Colossians 4.2 says, continue, tell, admonishes us to continue steadfastly in prayer. People who continue steadfastly in prayer have devoted themselves to pursuing a Christ-like life where prayer is an ongoing priority. When you make something a priority, when you sacrifice for it, when you give time to it, you know you're devoted to it. Does prayer make your top ten list? If someone were to say, how's your devotion? Or are other things crowding it out? Pray without ceasing. That's one of those that you can read, like if you're a literalist, that's a little bit difficult, right? I've got a few other things I have to do with my day, but think about it. Continuing steadfastly in prayer um, emphasizes prayer as an activity. That's the prior one we just discussed. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, Praying without ceasing reminds us that prayer is also about a relationship. Prayers, uh, prayers in one sense and, and expressions of questions, unbroken relationship with the Father. This is not meant to be taken literally, but certainly if talking and thinking of God can't be in the forefront of your mind at all times, it ought to be pretty close, maybe just off to the side. Martin Luther expressed uh, his expectation of prayer this way. Sounds like my grandmother's wisdom. As it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, it's the business of Christians to pray. So we're being told in Scripture again and again, pray. We must see the expectation not, not only as a divine summons, but also a royal, gentle invitation. Come. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let us then with confidence draw here to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. I want you to see prayer as we're, as we're coming to the end of our time today in just a couple, of quick, a couple of quick notes. It's a command of love and blessing. God, is, God is, is telling you through His Son, Jesus Christ, He's telling you elsewhere in Scripture, pray, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So take that as love. See that as an invitation of love. But don't just stop there with that picture of God. You know, as an old military man, you know, I also have learned to take orders. So if it helps you feel any better about this, take orders. God's commanding you to prayer. He's not just inviting you in to his presence. He's saying, look, you're in a battle. Why don't you use the means that I've given you to fight that battle? Take orders from headquarters. One writer said, prayer is a walkie-talkie of warfare, not a domestic intercom. We're not pulling the lever, the, the, the golden tassel, and asking Jeeves to come up and bring us a warm cup of tea. This is the commander saying to us, hey, um, you know what? You're in a fight between his kingdom and the kingdom of your enemy and his To abandon prayer is to fight the battle with our own resources at best and maybe even to lose interest in the battle at worst. So do it his way. Um, Do it his way. But it's a gospel expectation. This is that part about like, this is a diagnostic in your life. If I'm not a praying man at any phase of my life, I should ask myself, what does that say about the status of my soul? You know, when children make noise in the crib at night, it's a sign of life. When God's children make noise to Him, even if it's inaudible groans directed to Him, we know they're alive. He knows we're alive. 
his children. He's looking for those signs of life. Jesus prayed much. Should we do less? Okay. So we're getting close to the end, but I'm reminded that that Pastor Brody told us last week that, you know, if we go too early, all we do is create a traffic jam. So I'm going to go three more minutes to just to, to answer some of the obvious challenges that any of us have. And every one of these has got my name attached to it. And you might see your picture crowding mine out as well. Um, if we're not praying, sometimes that lack of prayer is because we're not planning on it. Okay, there's just a lack of diligence there. Maybe not, not, not having sufficient discipline. If I don't make time to do something in this day and age, something else will take its place. Doesn't mean something sinful. Doesn't mean something wicked. It just means something else may get in the way. You know, the urgent sometimes will crowd out the importance, uh, the, the important. So if we don't plan for it, it will tend to be crowded out. Sometimes, let's be honest, we might doubt that anything will happen. Do we pray from a place of doubt? I have. Do we get weary in this work sometimes? I have been. Um, we'd never say it out loud. I just did. That's, um, hopefully you'll ask me back next week. Um, but sometimes we do function this way, right? Like practically. But be encouraged. And this is, this is key. Prayer is in the spiritual realm. Prayer is often answered in the spiritual realm. Okay, so a, a, a no in the, in the material realm doesn't mean God didn't answer your prayer. But it just means maybe, that maybe that we need the eyes of, of faith to see it. Many prayers are answered in ways different from what we ask. I'm not going to argue with that. But when we are not vigilant, uh, this might tempt us to doubt whether the, 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 um, the power of God through prayer. Um, obstacle. Sometimes we, uh, we, we lack a sense of the nearness of God. I, I, is anybody there? Is this, thing, is this thing on? Is this working? Um, we all experience those times of sensing great nearness. We've had those times and they're sweet and they're encouraging. We've also had those times of feeling alone. Just remember, dwell on the properties of who God is. He's omnipotent. Okay? He's everywhere. He's there. He's there. Okay? Thus, the frailty of our emotions can erode our desires to pray. Trust God. Trust God's character. Trust who He is. Don't trust your feelings in those moments. He hears you, and He loves you. And He's collecting your prayers. He collects your tears. He collects your praises. Sometimes we lack an awareness of our real need, right? When we're doing great and everything's going well, I got this. Thanks, God. You can go listen to somebody else's prayers for a while. Somebody, go, go, go elsewhere, Lord. And we would never again say it that way. But when we're doing well, we, we stop you know, maybe coming with as great a need or as great a sense of urgency. Um, life is pretty manageable. Thank you very much. I've got this, Lord. I'll let you know. I'll pull the lever when I need you, right? Ding. Um, in pride and self-sufficiency, we may live for days as though prayer were needed only when something comes along that's too big for us to handle. Is that how praises work? Is that how prayers work? Is that how thanksgiving works? And then sometimes we lack an awareness of the greatness of God in the gospel. When I think of what Christ has saved me from, and when you do the same, when I recall the shame he endured so willingly for my sake, when I remember all that salvation uh, that needs um, and means, prayer is not hard. Are we a thankful people? Are we, are we a remembering people? When this kind of thinking is infrequent, meaningful prayer will also be infrequent. So, the theory, <laughs> the why we've talked about Next week, 
We'll talk a little bit about practical strategies. We can learn how to pray. We can be taught. There's wisdom out there. So we're not alone in trying to figure out if, if we want to go on this journey a little bit further and deeper in. Um, prayers answered. Ah, so grateful for the praises of this group on Sunday morning and hearing about those prayers that are answered. Sometimes in the spiritual realm, not the material. And then we're going to talk some specific applications. So that's where we're going. Thanks for your patience today. And certainly I, I look forward to, to being back, Lord willing, next Sunday to continue this journey through prayer for the purpose of godliness. God bless you. Have a great day.